stand if you are able. Today's scripture reading comes from the letter to, he, to the Hebrews 10, 19 through 31. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen in front or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. There are also copies of Bibles on the cart in the back. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts filling trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be if be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it, was, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall, in, fall into the hands of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Morning, all. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at High Rock Church, and it's great to be worshiping with you on this beautiful spring Sunday morning. And if you're new with us, then uh, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you have joined us for worship. Hope that you can stick around for soul food afterwards uh, and join us for our shared meal as well. So, uh, let me begin with this simple question. Is there anything in life that just really irks you? Like it just drives you crazy. Go ahead. Anything? I'm sorry? Yes. That's a wonderful answer. Any other descriptors? And they don't hold the door. Oh, yeah. Good. When you're walking, there's somebody right in front of you, and they don't hold the door. It's as if you're not there at all. Anything else that just, just drives anybody crazy? When you're walking, okay, and the sidewalk's, and you can't get through, and they're just blocking the, yeah. Good. Water on the floor. Mm. Oh, especially if you're wearing socks. That's disgusting. Oh, yeah, ice cube milk. Oh, that's terrible. 
Anything else that just drives you nuts? What? Not using a what? Oh, your blinkers. I'm coming back to that one. That's a good one. You, you share that, affli- that annoyance with a, 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 a part of our church. Okay, so to Deacon Tamoy's comment, uh, if you ask Pastor Yumiko this question, uh, I've asked her, you know, I've heard this for more than a decade now. She is annoyed by many things, but there are two things of primary annoyance to her. Uh, one is people who don't use their blinkers. She rails on that constantly. And the other is people who litter. Um, those are the two things that just drive her crazy. And I think the primary motivation is like it just feels maybe, you know, in line with not hope. It just feels so inconsiderate and like so self-centered um, that you, number one, that you would just throw trash or litter out, you know, where all of us are living together. Or um, that you are driving and like you wouldn't just, you know, do that so that everybody else around you knows what you are intending with your large vehicle, right? Like, it just, it drives her crazy. Um, and I'm sure that if I thought about this more in depth, I would have a, 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 a long list as well. But um, as with, you know, I, I, as with most people, kind of my primary annoyances are around, like, cars and vehicles. Um, but, but the one that specifically just... You know, it's the one that, like, drives me nuts to the point of, like, you know, if I'm alone in the car, I'm just screaming because I'm so annoyed, um, is I, I can't stand indecisive drivers. Um, I, I, my issue is not with people who are being rude or inconsiderate, even though I think I get annoyed with that. But like, I, I feel like I make excuses for them. Like they're late. Somebody's in the hospital and they have to get there quickly. You know, I, I feel like I make like excuses for why people are doing things that are rude and inconsiderate. Um, but there is something about the inefficiency of indecisiveness that just makes my mind just go crazy. Um, and it, so it's like that person that is, that can't, that, like there's two lanes of traffic and they want to merge in the other lane and they start, but they stop, you know, and then they, and they kind of look to see now that they've pulled halfway into your lane, if you're going to let them go the rest of the way. And, 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 you know, I get it, right? My lane's moving a little faster. You want to get in the faster lane. That was probably rude, but I get it. That's okay. So come on in. What I can't handle is when they come halfway, I have to come to a quick stop. And then they look like, oh, should I go or should I not? And then as they're doing that, a growing distance between me and the cars in front of me grows. And then other people all start pulling in there. So now their indecisiveness has cost me three, four, five cars. And I'm like, I'm just screaming because I'm so annoyed like just make the move it's fine or at the four-way stop right where and I can't handle it the creepers like you know that just they're like they're like slow rolling looking around to see like will everyone eventually come to a complete stop so that I can be the one to proceed and I'm just it just anyway it just makes me crazy and 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 I feel like it really like for me, as a driver, like if I'm, I'm going to do something, I'm doing it. And I don't care who's in the way, I'm doing it. And if I'm not going to do something, then I stop. So everybody else knows that man has stopped. And he's not doing something. 
So I'm going to do something. Because I'm convinced that by giving them confidence that they can go, they'll move faster so then I can move faster. Like, by not moving, I will save myself time. Like, that's a beautiful thought, right? Like, I will sit still and I'll save myself time, but it's the slow creepers. Anyway, if you're one of these people, I really apologize, and if you've ever actually done this, and you've seen me screaming in the car, and you didn't, you felt too awkward to confront me, like, I apologize. It's my deficiency, not yours, but I, it's the thing that I just can't, I just can't handle kind of the indecisiveness, and I don't know that God experiences kind of that same, like, overwhelming frustration that just that whole like you're driving me crazy I don't know if the divine like gets that feeling but if he does I think spiritual indecisiveness might be the thing that really gets him riled up when you look at the life of Jesus one of the things that is kind of surprising is that he will say and do things intentionally to thin out the crowd to kind of separate the people who are serious about him from the people who are just hanging around and interested. They're kind of curious. They, um, they like the show. The miracles are impressive. It's a good story for their friends. The free food is pretty good as well. Like if you show up for long enough, he'll just feed you miraculously. And that's that they like that, right? And so specifically after the feeding, like one of the most you know, obvious and famous examples of him doing this is after the feeding of the 5,000. And now there are just these huge crowds that are gathering around. But Jesus, sensing that there are some among them have a genuine interest and, and desire to kind of learn and grow and develop, but then sensing that there are a lot of people, a, a, a vast majority of them, who are just kind of interested but not actually invested, right? They're, they're curious, but that's kind of as far as it goes, and they don't really want more. Um, Jesus, in this like one great moment, turns to the great crowd before him, and he says, Um, Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, then you're dead. And the crowd uh, turns and says, Jesus, that's a really difficult teaching for us to accept. And Jesus turns to the crowd and says, oh, is that hard? Does that cannibalistic claim offend you? And he doesn't care. And, and when he kind of dismisses them, right, um, the majority of the crowd just goes home. Like, they're done with him. Like, their curiosity is over. And then, because he really likes to thin out the crowd as much as he can, he turns to his primary disciples and he says, do you, go, you want to go too? And they're like, no, 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 no. We, we, like, who else has the words of life, right? We're, we're staying. And so they you know, actively decide, I'm in, I'm following, I'm with you, regardless of your wild and ridiculous, it seems to me, claims, I'm in and I'm with you. And those who are just kind of on the periphery are gone. And in one beautiful moment, Jesus takes away the indecisiveness, he sends the wannabes home, and he retains those who really want to be there. Revelation chapter 3, we read that famous verse about, you know, the lukewarm Christian, and God says of that lukewarm Christian, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. You disgust me, and I will 
exile you from my mouth, from my presence, right? He is not interested in indecision, in that mediocrity, in those that want to keep investigating but never actually make up their mind, those who want to see if they can reap the rewards of showing interest without ever actually committing to a full life of discipleship. Those that can't decide whether to ultimately merge into the line, you know, line of life of faith or just stay in the lane of disbelief. So they're straddled over that line, constantly stopping and starting in fits of faith that actually make no decisions at all on whether they want to accept or reject the living God. And so, when you look at the passage that Isabi just read to us from Hebrews chapter 10, this is, in the book of Hebrews, the moment of decision. This is, if Hebrews was a worship service, This is the altar call. In these three short weeks in Hebrews, we're just looking at a few of the final chapters. Uh, But if you go back to the very beginning uh, of Hebrews, the primary message the author is trying to communicate is the absolute, total, universal supremacy of Jesus over every other thing. This is a book that was written to Jews. And the point the author is trying to make is the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than the prophet. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the high priest. And his blood is greater than the blood of goats and calves and anything else. It is greater and more effectual. The supremacy of Christ is the central teaching goal of the author. And nowhere is that point more powerfully made in the supremacy of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, which spread his blood over the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant that satisfied the holiness of God so that by the tearing of Jesus' flesh, so also the tearing of the veil occurred that gave us access and removed our separation from God. So now we might enter into his holy presence without fear, without trembling, without intimidation, and without indecision, but now boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because the blood of Jesus, which is superior to the blood of anything else, has made that possible once and for all time. That's the point that the author has been spending nine and a half chapters trying to make. And now that he has made his argument in full, it is decision time for his listeners. And that's what we get in the second half of chapter 10. Now that you've heard everything that there is, now I've laid out all the evidence before you. What are you going to do with it? Because indecision is unacceptable. And there are two options that are presented in this text. And that's what I want us to examine just for a few brief moments this morning. Uh, The two options that we are given after having been presented with nine and a half chapters about the supremacy of Jesus over all things. The first of those options is you can accept and enter in, meaning Jesus has gone to the cross and shed his blood, so the veil between man and God has been removed. So accept the reality and the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice and boldly enter into the presence of the living God. That is option number one. What's fascinating about that option is how um, 
kind of the application of it is presented. Because what is presented kind of follows in that Pauline model of faith, hope, and love with the greatest of these being love. Verse 22 says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him, i.e., let us enter into his presence with faith that we will not die, that we won't be destroyed, but with faith that Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover us and to cleanse us before God. So you have faith, then you have hope. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm because God can be trusted to keep his promise. So let us hold tightly to the hope that we have, like if your ship had sunk and there was something floating in the water and you grabbed onto that flotation device with your arms wrapped around it and you, you, you sit there and you, you wrap your arms firmly around this device with the hope that there, someone is going to come and save you and rescue you and remove you from the water. So hold on tightly in this life, throughout the persecution, throughout the hard times, throughout the challenges, throughout the high waves. Don't let go, but wrap your arms tightly around the hope that we have in Jesus because we believe that God can be trusted to keep his promise bring us safely into his presence so that we might enjoy an eternal communion with him in heaven. So that is hope, and we must cling to that hope tightly throughout every moment in this life. So you have faith, and you have hope, and then it concludes with love, verses 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate... Just, sorry, I want to say that better. Verses 24 and 25. Let us think of ways. Take that part in, right? Let us think... Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, or as another translation puts it, let us spur one another on toward outbursts of love and good works. The community of Christ, as Jesus explains to his disciples, is to be recognized and defined by its love. The situation as it is to be lived and experienced is that followers of Jesus are to be so filled with love and care for one another and the world around them that this community of Christ followers becomes known and famous and recognized because those are the people who love. And that phrase toward acts or toward outbursts of love is, is so vivid and descriptive. When was the last time that you had an outburst of love, right? Where it just from inside of you, just this explosion, this eruption of love because Jesus loves you and has laid claim to your life. I think that many of you do, right? I know of outbursts of love that, that I have seen or that I have personally experienced um, opportunities to love someone, care for someone, encourage someone. These moments when you are just so filled up on the inside and it just comes flying out. On, uh, on, um, on Friday night, um, we had family room at, uh, the, at the 39 Harvard and uh, my wife was um, sharing at family room, so I was with my two kids, and uh, I decided to take them out. We went to this Mexican restaurant uh, nearby, and uh, 
we got to the restaurant, but there was like a 20-minute wait, and so we had to wait outside. But it was a beautiful night. I remember Friday night. It was a gorgeous night and sunny and perfect weather, beautiful spring night. And um, outside the restaurant, there were a couple railings, which for kids is like the most exciting thing. And so they're just crawling on these railings and, you know, you know, balancing on these railings for like 25 minutes. They were so happy. And then they called our name to come in, and we, we sat down, and I, in literally the fastest service I've ever experienced in my life, a man came over, said, what would you like to drink? I said, you know, a couple waters, and the kids would like a, a virgin mango daiquiri, and somehow within like 45 seconds, he had brought that back, and it was there, and they said, what do you want to eat? And I said, a chicken quesadilla and a chicken enchilada, and literally he walked over, and he typed it into the computer. He walked in the kitchen, grabbed it, and walked out. I'd never, I'd, I've literally never seen anything. Obviously, it was already prepared. I don't know divinely or just they pre-prepared but somehow the food was already ready walked it out which if you're a parent with kids this is the most exciting thing in the world because you don't have to entertain them for 20 minutes while you're trying to wait for the food but literally it was in front of them and and they were hungry and Agnes was just chomping into this quesadilla and just loving it and drinking her mango smoothie and having and she was so happy and then this she had a window next to her and the sun was out and she was looking at it she was so happy and then as we were walking out of the restaurant Agnes has this little board where if you rub your hands one way it becomes black and if you rub it another way it becomes green and she loves her board and she's constantly she wants to take a board everywhere and she shows everyone her board and as we're walking out of the restaurant she's got the board in her hand and she's rubbing it back and forth and there are people standing outside because they're waiting in line and she's like look at my board and a couple of them were just really nice and they're like that's an amazing board like this is so amazing and she's like I know I know my board and she's like I made a house and she's showing them and they were really interested in this board and she was so happy like that they were showing interest and she was she was like you could see her beaming and then we're walking out past them in the driveway and the sun setting and the, and the sky is like purple and pink and beautiful and I said Agnes look at the sky isn't it beautiful she's like oh the sun is beautiful and she lo- turns to me she's like daddy I am so happy like just it like it had just welled up the food and the board and the sun and just in this like explosion of happiness she's like you know, as a three-year-old, you know, I am just so happy. Like, right now, in this particular moment, Daddy, she didn't say that part, but, like, I am just, I am just overwhelmed, right? And that's the heart of it, right? Like, we as Christians, because God loved, first loved us, we are just, oh, my gosh, right? These outbursts of love, these eruptions that come from within us because we are so grateful for the way that Jesus has loved us, right? That's what defines the Christian community. And so we're encouraged to think of, to find ways that we're, we're supposed to actually be intentional and strategic about it, not just randomly come across or coincidentally, coincidentally line up with, but with intent to look for and find ways to motivate one another, to inspire one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on towards love, towards outbursts of love and good works. And partner directly with that in the second, in verse 25. And we must not stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But we must gather together, encouraging one another, especially as we wait in the shadow of Jesus' return. These verses don't just discourage, but they explicitly deny the lie of a personal spirituality that has gained popularity. 
it's become more and more common for Christians to say that they don't see the need for, for gathering together in worship and community because their relationship with God is personal and it doesn't require a community around it. That is a heresy in the modern church and it expressly de- just denies, it ignores and rejects what we read and learn in Scripture. An essential part of what it means for us to accept and enter in is to enter into the gathered body. It's an absolute essential of Christian faith that can't be ignored or abandoned, and I would implore you to take that part seriously. So the first option that we're given for a decision is that based on all that we've read in nine and a half chapters, I decide to accept the sacrifice and the sufficiency of Jesus and enter into the presence of God, and to do that most specifically by my intentional participation in the community of faith, motivating one another toward acts of love and good works. That's option A, accept it and enter in. The second option that comes with a terrifying warning, but which sounded a little easier in the words of a 10-year-old, is to instead of accepting and entering into God's presence, to instead reject and depart from the presence of God. I'm going to reread verses 26 to 29. There was a a beautiful dissonance in Isabee's reading of it, but I want to make sure that it's also fresh on our minds. So I want to just reread 26 to 29. Dear friends, If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Now, the first thing that we have to do when you read those verses is to be very clear about what is being taught here Uh, Because there are some in Christian circles that that read these verses and then interpret them along the lines of, uh, if you become a Christian, you decide to follow Jesus, and then after making the choice to follow Jesus, you commit a sin that you knew was a sin, like you tell a lie and you knew that it was a lie, or you take something that wasn't yours and you knew that it wasn't yours to take, then you have deliberately sinned. And after having received the knowledge of the truth of Jesus' supremacy, there is then no sacrifice that can cover those kinds of sins. So you are bound for the destruction of hell. Of course, that is not what is being taught here. And and it is an interpretation of this text that then flies in the face of a whole reading of Scripture, including many other specific texts that directly refute that kind of teaching. One of the clearest being in 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous because you are not. So if random 
and intentional sins are not what are being addressed here, i.e., what's not being addressed is to make sure that after you accept the blood of Jesus, you never again commit a sin that you knew was a sin because if you do, you're condemned to hell. If that's not what is being taught here, what is the author teaching? And I'm not going to go into every detail right now just for the sake of time, but there's a related passage to this one. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, and that issue that is being addressed in Hebrews 6 and also that is being addressed here in chapter 10 is uh, at its core the issue of apostasy. That is the deliberate and intentional rejection of Jesus, both his supremacy and his sufficiency. What the author is communicating here is now that he has spent nine and a half chapters making the case for Jesus, now that he has shown the reader that Jesus is superior to Moses, superior to angels, superior to Joshua, superior to all the rest, now that he has shown that Jesus, by way of his blood, has opened the way for us to enter into the presence of God and to worship and commune there, once someone knows all of that, once someone is able to, uh, they know the way to Jesus, If that person, knowing all of that, intentionally decides to reject that opportunity and to instead enter into a life of sin and disobedience, realizing and knowing that that life of sin and disobedience is in direct violation of the teachings of Scripture and the holiness declared of God, then that person, by their own will and decision, has made themselves an enemy of the living God. So you remember back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, David said, let me fall into the hands of God and not into the hands of men because he is a merciful God. He said, God's mercy is great. Let me fall into his hands. But what the author of Hebrews clarifies here is that while David was absolutely right to desire to fall into the hands of a merciful God and not into the hands of angry men, There is a limit to that mercy. And that limit is when someone has heard the truth about Jesus and then decides actively to ignore and reject that truth and instead turn to a life of sin and lawlessness. For that, the author tells us, there isn't any other sacrifice that will be able to cover those sins. If you reject the sacrifice of Jesus, there is no other sacrifice to save you And therefore, you have declared yourself as an enemy of the living God. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you are an enemy. So he is our heavenly father. And he is also and equally a consuming fire. So... Since I'm using these final sermons as your pastor to say the things I think need to be said, the things I want to leave you with, here's the thing that I want to say for today. Take love seriously because it is the center of our Christian life and witness. And take sin seriously too. The vibrant Christian life is intended to be one that is full of outbursts of love and good works that serve and satisfy the world around us, constant eruptions of care that nourish the lives of those in need. We are intended to be a community that builds one another up, that shares the burdens that others carry so that it's easier for them to bear them, 
that encourages one another as we sing psalms and spiritual songs together. And the vibrant Christian life is is intended to be one that identifies and rejects the traps of Satan. That doesn't allow sin to enter in and when it does, confesses it quickly so that it might not grab a foothold. Leaning instead on Jesus who advocates for us before the Father and who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I think it's always essential for Christians to live in that reality, enter into the fullness of love, reject sin and the separation that it brings. But I would suggest that a particular focus on this in the coming weeks and months might be particularly important for our churches. As I transition out of my role as lead pastor, there are all kinds of changes and challenges in the near future. And any time there is a disruption in a community, it creates the opportunity for discord and for disunity. So I want to particularly encourage you this morning toward outbursts of love and toward entering fully into the power of Christian community. Commit yourselves in the coming weeks to looking for ways that you can love and serve and toward motivating others to love and serve as well. Commit yourself to gathering together, to being at church, to showing up at your small group, your Ohana group, to being present and to looking for ways that you might erupt in love toward those around you. I think it would be maybe, I think it would be quite beautiful if the describing feature of this church when I leave is that for some reason, when the lead pastor finally left, this church had this deeply increased level of love and sacrifice for one another. Imagine how that would encourage those who are a part of the church, those who are watching from the outside. Imagine how God might begin to bless and pour out his spirit on a church as everyone intentionally begins to engage in outbursts and eruptions of care and concern and encouragement toward one another. This is the time to bless each other, to build each other up. This is the time to pay special attention to those that are in need and find ways to bless them. And it is also the time to pay particular attention to the traps that Satan might set and to rejecting those and the isolation and the disunity that they might introduce and to instead return our eyes and our presence to the presence of the living God. If you remember the sin of Achan, right? A sin in a community, in one member of the community, can impact the whole of that community. And so we intentionally turn our eyes away from Satan. We reject the darkness that he invites us into. And instead, we turn toward the light of God's presence. So um, what I would like to do this morning is I'd like to end with a a, a fairly um, particular, specific time of reflection. Uh, Praise team, if you are in the room, I will invite you to to join me this morning in the office. I was kind of looking over my sermon and putting some final edits on it, and Jason was strumming. And then I thought, like, why does he not strum during my sermon preparation all the time? It's so powerful. And then Jason offered, if I'm ever having a difficult conversation with someone, to come in the room and strum, because that might help. So I'm going to invite Jason and whoever else wants to um, to, to give us some music. But um, I want to lead us through two specific reflections. 
The first one is going to deal with sin, and the second one is going to deal with love. Uh, and I'm going to just, uh, you can do this however you'd like to. You can sit and stare. You can close your eyes. You can bow. You can do anything that is comfortable for you. But I'm going to walk us through kind of a time of reflection, and then I'll close us in a word of prayer. Would you join me, please? I invite you to begin just with a, a prayer, a time of brief prayer. Uh, ask God, um, is there any sin in your life that you have not taken seriously? I invite you just to pray, to ask God through his spirit to show that to you. as you're praying, if there is a sin that you feel like the Spirit is putting before you, something that you have um, not been attentive to, something that you have ignored, something you haven't taken seriously, I invite you into a time just to confess that to God this morning, to give it to Jesus, your advocate. it to Jesus. Confess that sin. And then I would encourage you to just pray for the strength of God's spirit to help you resist the devil so that he might flee from you. I invite you just to pray and to ask God to pour out his Holy Spirit on you that you would be able to resist the power of those temptations. Now we turn to the second part of this reflection. I'm going to invite you just to start by asking, is there, is there anyone who comes to mind that you might feel inspired to express love for? Is there anyone around you you feel like God might be inviting you to just... That person, that person could, could use an outburst of love, an act of good deeds. And just, if there's somebody that comes to mind, I'm going to invite you to think specifically, strategically, intentionally about how you might do that. What, would it, what might it look like for you to just have an act of love, an outburst, an eruption of love that you could share with that person.
Perhaps it is an encouragement by word, by letter, by video. Perhaps it's a gift. Perhaps it's a meal, an opportunity to spend time together. Perhaps an act of service. Perhaps a word of forgiveness or reconciliation. Just invite you to think about and if you can, if it comes to mind to perhaps commit to that one outburst of love sometime in the coming week or two. Don't wait too long. I invite you just to spend a moment making that commitment now, and including, if necessary, the plan that you would need to make. Let us think about these things. Be intentional and specific. us pray. Our Father in heaven, we gather here today grateful that 2,000 years ago, you found it fitting to have this outburst of love that was the incarnation of your son, Jesus Christ, that from the heavenlies came this moment, this incredible moment where you put on flesh and you entered into the reality of this world. You did it in, a, in an unfitting place. And yet there lay your son here for us. And years later, that son would put his body at risk, his flesh, And we thank you so much for what you have done for us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross. We thank you for the love that you have shown to us. Holy Spirit, would you be poured out over our community that we might love one another. And Lord, I pray for this church in the weeks and the months to come. I pray that there would be a, a fresh movement of the power of your spirit expressed in the love of a community that cares for one another that enters into the needs of the other. I pray at the same time that there would be holiness, that there would be no sin, that instead there would be an active turning away from sin and turning towards you. Lord, I pray that holiness would also define this community. And for any person who is whether they're here today or even if they're gone, Lord, whatever that sin is that has been sitting there and active and ignored, I pray that you would root it out. Give whoever is sitting here and who needs it the power to resist Satan and to turn away from these schemes that lead to death, brokenness. We pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are our advocate, that you sit before the throne, and that even though we fail, because we do, we fall short, we make mistakes, and when we do, we bring those sins to you, we confess them before you, and you come and you say, not by the merit of this person, but by the satisfying blood that I shed, Lord, 
them be forgiven to enter in. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you do. Without it, we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. We are bound for an eternal separation from the Father, but we thank you for what you do for us each day. You give, we give our lives to you in every possible way. We pray in your name. Amen.